Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen, amen. Thank God for this great praise and worship and presence of the Lord for honoring our sacrifices. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise the name of the Lord. Amen, amen. Hallelujah. It is the pre-4th of July celebration, and we do want to honor all of our leaders, our founding fathers, and the ideals upon which this nation was founded. You know, the Apostle Peter writes in his epistle, first epistle, chapter 2, and this is not my text, I'm just going to mention this to you in the spirit of the holidays that we're about to uh, celebrate. And he says, uh, in verse 11, calls us says, strangers and pilgrims to abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. And so having your conversation or your life, your behavior, honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold glorify God on the day of visitation. Then he goes on to say a few things concerning living in the country, in the system where they're at. And he says, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme, but he's not saying anything contrary to Jesus. He's talking about yieldedness and, 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 and serving the, 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 the law of the land. Or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers. At least they're supposed to. And for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God that with well-doing you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. As free and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as servants of God. Honor all men. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. Honor the king. Can I tell you, their king was really a backslidden Israelite and wasn't even to be the king of Israel. If he's talking about Caesar, he's one of the most, one of the most essentials, one of the most uh, lascivious, one of the most immoral people you could ever imagine. He says, honor the king. That's a tall order. But we honor them for their position, not for the person that they are. Amen. Hallelujah. Yes, we give them respect and dignity as all men deserve. We honor the office. And same here with the United States of America. America's kingdom is not going to heaven. No nation is. Hallelujah. It's whomsoever will. Out of every, out of every tribe, nation, tongue, and kindred. There's no country going to heaven just because they say in God we trust. You got to live it. Not just talk about it. And uh, yet we, we want to be yielded to the word of God and we're going to honor the king. We honor our leaders, our governors, our presidents, our legislators, our, our judges, all the elected people who have authority over us. And their source of authority is from God. 
And so we honor them. And uh, 4th of July is a time we remember, again, uh, the day that this nation became a separate, independent nation from Great Britain. And uh, it was after 150 plus years of relationship with that country, our mother country, England. And uh, here we are today, 200 plus years later, and still here. But we're in the 11th hour. According to Matthew 20, we're in the 11th hour. The 11th hour is the last, not the last hours of the last day. And, uh, and we have a lot of work to do. And Jesus is still looking and calling for laborers to go in the, king, in, in the vineyard and his kingdom. And uh, in that spirit, let us remember while we re- rejoice in our liberty that we have while we have it. Remember that the night is coming when no man can work. For the powers that be, you will get to the point where it will not allow the church to function as they would. In fact, that's when I believe God's coming back. Amen. It's when man shuts the door to themselves and the preaching of the gospel to reach their hearts. But it's the 11th hour, and he's coming soon. And I'm looking for it. And I'm not down. I'm not depressed. I'm not discouraged. I'm happy. Hallelujah. I know where I'm going. I know where we're going. Hallelujah. And I've got my ticket. Amen. I'm going up yonder. And it won't be long. It won't be long. Praise the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. He is coming soon. Amen. And those uh, working in the 11th hour, uh, some of them, my brother Alfonso Romeo, say, man, wave your hand, brother Al. That's all made on the hallelujah. And he's done such a great job. He went down to the uh, pride parade without any altercation, any kind of problems. And he was there, preached the gospel to him. He sowed some good seed. People came up to him, talked with him. And then uh, yesterday he went out to the ballgame stadium, amen, outside, preaching the gospel with his microphones and and all that. And then Brother Jeff, amen, he was able to go. And his sister uh, uh, Evelina was was ill this past week. But went to uh, Thursday night uh, uh, celebrating recovery to the addicts in jail, amen. Another record crowd, 26 people showed up for that Thursday night. Isn't that great? Listen, people are hungry. People need, need the message. Thank you, Jesus. And I appreciate all these 11th hour workers. Hallelujah. Amen, amen. Thank you for standing so long. I want to read a, uh, two verses of scripture into your ears from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26 and 27. Thank you for being here this morning. Praise the Lord. Brother Butch Holman, your family, God bless you. Special honor to see you here today. Brother, sister Seebecker, brother Derek, sister Dolores, good to see you, sister Sabina. Many have been struggling with illnesses. Brother Chuck back is here. Can you imagine that? He had surgery Friday, and here he is on Sunday. That's what I call motivation. He's sitting down. I wouldn't want it any other way. So be careful with him in the blue shirt, how you, you know, come around him. Amen. But he's here. Thank you, Jesus. And all of you fanning yourselves in the back. It's cooler up front. I can feel the air conditioning. As many of you know, our AC is still not operating in the back section of the sanctuary. Looking for a new AC unit. And uh, we're still praying to help us pray for that. Ephesians 4, verse 26. Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. And here's the kicker. 
Neither give place to the devil. Neither give place to the devil. Hallelujah. The New Living Translation says this, and don't sin by letting anger gain control over you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry, for anger gives a mighty foothold. Everybody say foothold. Anger gives a mighty foothold to the devil. Amen. Hallelujah. And my message simply this morning is give no place to the devil. Don't give him a foothold. Don't give him an inch. He'll take a while. Don't give him a little finger. He'll take your hand. Don't give him your hand. He'll take your arm. Don't give him your arm. He'll take your whole body. That's the way the devil works. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for being in our midst for two or three are gathered together in your name. You're in the midst of them. And Lord, we know you're here. We feel your presence. And we're honored and we're, Lord, so overwhelmed by your presence and the joy that brings. And the peace that comes with it. And we worship you and praise you. Lord, Lord, let your word go first. Touch the hearts of the hearers. And let the word sink deep down into the ears of those that hear it. Let it change us according to your will. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Let the church say amen. God bless you. You may be seated. We got three enemies to fight, and you know that. Our flesh, it's the world, and it's the devil. The flesh is already on the inside of us. That's the hardest thing to overcome, and that's usually one of the last things to yield itself, but but the world and the devil, you got to let in. And I'm going to talk more about the devil today because he's still alive and kicking and he's still up to no good. The Bible says that he uses many different kinds of strategies to attack us. And he's got his tactics, his modus operandi, his MOD. 2 Corinthians 2.11 says, Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Devices, plural, more than one. And he said, we got to be careful unless we allow the devil to take advantage of us, but we don't have to uh, let him take advantage of us. We need to know that the devil is, first of all, a very formidable foe. He's, He's not this cartoon character painted red with, with, uh, you know, these flaming eyes and sharp ears and, and uh, a tail and pitchfork and all that. No, no, no. In fact, what makes him really dangerous is that he is the most beautiful angel God ever created. His beauty is what got him in trouble with pride in the first place. And he can project that, that beauty to you and I and he can make sin look very appealing and beautiful. And that's what makes him so devious. He is a beautiful fallen angel who Jesus described as the father of all lives. He's, he is a false accuser. He's an accuser of the brethren, the Bible calls him. And so in Ephesians 6.11, the Bible tells us, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles, W-I-L-E-S, plural, the wiles of the devil. Now, that wiles in Greek is strategos, it is strategy. That's where we get the word strategy from. And strategy means taking a full assessment of an enemy and carefully designing a plan to defeat him by attacking him at his weakest point. 
So what the Bible is telling us that the devil devises a strategy. He looks you over, up and down, and he looks for your weaknesses. He looks for mistakes, and he looks to pounce upon you and uses that to gain a foothold from which to attack you and expand his control over basically every area of your life. So you and I, though, as children of God, born again of the water and the spirit, should have no fear of the devil. We ought to have a healthy respect of the devil, and yet we should never be afraid of him. We should never be afraid of any demons or ghosts or spirits, so-called. 1 John 4, 4 says, Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Yeah. Don't you know Jesus is bigger than the devil? Yeah. Hallelujah. The Holy Ghost is stronger than any satanic power. Right. Amen. You've got that on the inside of you. You have no reason to be afraid. Yeah. Hallelujah. Yeah. Praise God. We're not ignorant of his devices and Yet one of the things that we know that he uses to try to gain a little foothold in the hearts and minds is the strategy that even Napoleon used. Now, Napoleon was one of the five great captains of history. Now, I remember taking a class at Swake back in the 1980s, something. And one of my, one of my favorite classes was this class that the history professor taught on the five greatest captains of the world. One was like Hannibal of Carthage, North Africa, and, then, and there was, uh, uh, you know, Napoleon, and uh, there was Philip of uh, Philippi, uh, the father of Alexander the Great. He was the one that introduced uh, uh, the, uh, the, the, the lances, the long lances on cavalry, and uh, that gave him a great military advantage that's never been used before. Hannibal, he's the one that, you know, took uh, all his army from northern Africa, went over the Alps, and attacked Italy from the rear up over the mountains of, of the Alps. And, and uh, he's the one that designed the first one ever used, what they even still teach in West Point in military academies, the double envelopment. So you have a straight line, you're facing off against an army, and, and the, front, the middle goes straight forward, and all of a sudden on the sides, they recede, they come back. And it seems like they're retreating, but they're not, and it entices the enemy to come and take up the spot and, and, and go in and attack because they think, hey, we got the enemy on the run. But what the side does is comes back around on both sides and encircles the enemy, and now all of a sudden you've got battles on every side. Hannibal did that, one of the first captains, great captains of the world. Napoleon in the 1800s came up with the relentless pursuit. Now, he was an artillery officer. He was a military man, and took advantage of the French Revolution and the aftermath thereof and the reign of terror. And he came to power in the early 1800s, and, and uh, he became a great dictator with ambitions to conquer all of Europe. And uh, he, again, devised a relentless pursuit. That is, that when you got the enemy on the run, especially with the cavalry, do not stop until you wipe them out. When you're after them, pursue, pursue, pursue. Don't let anything stop you. Keep going until they're eliminated totally. But now, Napoleon was indeed, oh, I could tell you more stories about that. Oh. But I digress. But I do say this because, you see, uh, there is a lot of similarity between military strategy and what the devil uses in spiritual strategy against us. You know, before Napoleon would ever attempt to conquer new territory, he would 
He would take map. He would take maps and he would study them. He'd get every bit of information he could on that territory he's about to invade. And he'd make himself familiar with the terrain and, and the, the rivers and the mountains and the hills and, and population centers and the valleys and the forests and, and whatever obstacles there may be and what, what bridges would be and, and uh, how the roads are lined up. And so he would look at that map and study it carefully and he would devise a plan, a strategy to come into that new territory, establish a foothold, and from there spread out and start to conquer the other parts of that new territory. Amen. It's like, you know, like a salesman that wants to put his foot in the door. I don't think they knock on doors that much anymore. They still do. But, you know, they still knock on my door now and then. But none of them are as aggressive as they used to be in the old days. And some of you know what I'm talking about. Hallelujah. It's coming to your house and you put the foot in the door. Well, that's what the devil wants to do. He wants to see an open door in your life, in your heart, in your mind, in your walk with God. If you could just give him an open door just for a little bit, a little crack, so he can put his foot in there and use as a foothold and start to work on you even more. Hallelujah. And yes, you think that that kind of a strategy has been abandoned, not so. We use it even today. We have all kinds of contingencies that we have developed in all scenarios all around the world. In fact, in the Pentagon, and the, uh, the, there's a department there that works on nothing but plans, battle plans of how to for, fight a war against all our enemies, all our countries that would be potential enemies for us. And how would we do it? What would we do? What, what, what kind of equipment would it take? What kind of uh, armament? What kind of, how many airplanes? How many ships? All of those things and what it would cost to have those contingencies. Now, World War II was one of the great examples. And I want this is the last example I want to use about a foothold. And this is crucial. Sister uh, Ruth, can you put that map up on the, on the board? Hallelujah. This is a, a map during World War II. And I don't have a pointer because these are pointed, don't work on these. So I'm going to use this. Old stick right here. <laughs> now, as you know, this, where you see the gray area is basically the extent, the maximum extent that Nazi Germany under Hitler expanded throughout Europe. He overran all those countries. Okay? And only Great Britain remained. And uh, this is why we came and helped them. And, of course, in 1940, the Battle of Britain for air power was won by Britain and uh, the Nazi Germans could not send an invading army across the Great Britain, across the Channel, because they did not have air superiority. But so in 1943, two years before the Allies ever won the war, they devised a plan to attack what's called Fortress Europe. Nazi-controlled Europe. So how are we going to do this? How are we going to conquer that, much, that big territory? Well, we began to ship hundreds and then thousands of airplanes to Britain, hundreds of trucks, in fact, thousands, and thousands of men. In fact, there's almost 2 million men gathered in here from 16 different nations. And then we devised a plan to attack over here in France. That was secret, by the way. Nobody knew that's where we we're going to attack. In fact, to deceive the enemy, uh, the allies, the United States and uh, its allies in Great Britain, at first, want to deceive Nazi Germany by thinking that we're going to attack from North Africa here in the soft underbelly of Europe called this region right here, France. And so they built up a fictitious army, 
uh, under General Patton. And, uh, and then they sent all kinds of uh, uh, letters and all kinds of deceptive devices to make all of uh, Nazi Germany think that we're going to be attacking from here. And all that time, we're going to be attacking from over here. And so on June 6th, 1944, we decided to finally attack. And here is, you see this little area right here in green and pink? Amen. Yeah, on northern France, that's Normandy. Uh, we did not choose to attack and cross the channel at the shortest distance because that's where it was anticipated. That's where also a lot of, the, if not much of the, of the uh, enemy strength was located. But all along here, you had millions and millions of landmines on the beaches, fortifications, pillboxes, cannons, everything. And here, the Allies accumulated 5,000 warships. Over a million men crossed on June 6th. 1944, in fact, 175,000 on the first day in six different locations along this beach. And that was crucial. The German uh, general in charge, General Erwin Rommel, he was called the Desert Fox. He was also the head of the German Reich armies in, uh, in North Africa. He said, he's looking over the beaches, if the Allies attack here, and if they get a foothold, the war's over. He said, the first 24 hours on the beaches, anywhere where the Allies attack, will determine the war. The first 24 hours will be victory or loss. He says, we've got to throw them back into the sea when they land. If they succeed in establishing a foothold, then it's just a matter of time. And that's exactly what happened. In the first day... 175,000 troops, 30,000 trucks, and, and other military vehicles, airplanes, paratroopers dropped out behind. And, of course, after several weeks of pushing inward, we made a major push in. And, of course, uh, the Allies going this way and this way began to attack all areas. The Soviet Union from the east began to pressure at the same time. The timing was, was coordinated and, uh, and just... Uh, from June 1944 until April of 1945. You talk about nine months or so, the war was over. But it started with a foothold. That was the whole purpose of the Allies. And, and even the defenders knew the same thing, that if they get a foothold, it's going to be tough. You see why the devil wants to get a foothold in your life? You see why he wants to get a foothold in your mind, in your heart, in your spirit? Just, just to get just a little thing, just a little foothold. Then he's got something to work with. Then he's got some, time, some place and space to, to begin to wreak havoc in your life. That's why the devils, you see, always begin with a foothold. Just trying to get a foothold in your life. First Peter 5, 8 says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking Seeking whom he may devour. He plans his mode of attack. He watches for an opening. He looks over his prey carefully. And rarely attacks in a confrontational way. He devises a plan to, when it's for you as unawares. And he's waiting for you and I to make a mistake. And then he seizes the opportunity. And this is why Paul said, we must never give place to the devil. We must never allow him to take advantage of us. For we're not ignorant of his devices. Not a foothold, not, a, not an inch, 
Not a finger, nothing. Hallelujah. And uh, to do that, we need kind of a take heed spirit in these last days. Take heed, you know, means beware. Hallelujah. I looked it up in the Bible. I counted 55 times. The Bible says take heed. 29 times in the Old Testament, 26 times in the New Testament. It means beware. Some of the things it says, take heed that no man deceive you, Jesus said. Take heed and beware of the doctrine of the Pharisees. Take heed and beware that you do not despise one of these little ones. Be careful how you treat little children. Be careful how you, how you treat them, especially new converts in Christ. He says, take heed to what you hear. Take heed unto yourselves and all the flock, Paul said in Acts 20 to the Ephesian elders. And take heed unto thyself and to the doctrine. Beware, take care. Make sure that you give due attention to spiritual things and you take them seriously because the devil would like to take advantage of you and of your negligence and your carelessness. Because all he needs is just a foothold. You see, when, when the devil comes knocking, he, he's not looking and asking for any big thing. It's not anything great. It's, he just wants a launching point, a foothold. Amen. Just a little thing. Not a big deal. You know, you say, oh, come on, it's, come on, a little drink. It's not a big deal. It's just, it's just one little joint. Come on. It's just only one time going clubbing. Just one time. Well, that's no big deal. Just come on. You know, but you know what Jesus said, a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Uh, just a little bit of yeast in that dough is going to ferment, fermentize all, all the dough. Hallelujah. Solomon said the little foxes are the ones that spoil the vine. In Ecclesiastes 10.1, he says the tiny flies that spoil the sweet aroma of the ointment of the apothecary. It's that little spot on the garment that ruins it all. You got a beautiful wedding dress on one just little, one speck ruins it all. And that's where it starts. Just one speck, something really small. And that's why the devil starts small and it asks for everything. Gets a foothold and he wants everything. He wants all of it. He plays for keeps. That's one thing that Jesus, our Lord, and the enemy of our Lord have in common. They both want all. I said both want all. That's why you can't serve God and mammon. Because you're going to love the one and hate the other. Amen. You can't have both lords. Because they're diametrically opposed to one another. And both want everything you have. Hallelujah. The Lord wants all your heart. And so does the enemy. You will love the one and hate the other. You cannot love God and mammon at the same time. Because he wants everything. And he's not satisfied with just a little. He wants it all. And. He's not just satisfied with today. He wants every day. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Sure as the enemy comes to steal, kill, and to destroy, Jesus comes to give us life and that we might have it more abundantly. Hallelujah. That's why Ephesians 4, 27, we read, neither give place to the devil. So the context of anger. Now, I use that uh, Scripture to again use a launching point for footholds in general. All the, the context in Ephesians 4 26 and 27 is anger, and it rightly so. I mean, if, if you allow anger to take a foothold in you, it will expand from anger to greater things. Anger quickly turns to wrath, and wrath quickly turns to brawling and bitterness. 
and brawling and bitterness turns to malice and unforgiveness and anger always escalates. It spreads and takes over your mind and your body. And it becomes very destructive and very sinful. See, if the enemy can get in our attitudes, if he can get in our spirit, if he can get inside of our head and our heart, then he's got a foothold. If he can get into our morals and, and get us to compromise our lifestyle and our core values and just, just a little bit, just get a little foothold, then you start going downhill without even realizing it. By the time you get there, you don't realize how far you come. Isn't that the way the saying goes? You give, and amen. He'll take you further than you, you would, and he'll keep you longer than you want, you want it to. That's the way the devil plays, and he wants it all. There is no moderation with the devil. We're speaking of somebody evil and diabolical and sinister. You can't make him your friend. You can't make peace with him. Amen. Because he wants to destroy everything you have, everything you love, everything you work for, and drag them down in the same pit that he's bound for. Amen. 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 Hallelujah. That's why we got to understand when Paul said, don't give place to the devil, I mean, don't invite him in. Don't invite him in. Don't invite him in for one drink, for one smoke, one joint, one snort. One little lie. Oh, come on now. Hallelujah. Oh, just one little inordinate kiss. Oh, man, that's nothing. What's wrong with that? Look out. He's looking for a foothold is what I'm talking about. Don't invite him in for just one indiscretion of anything. Don't make room for him. Don't make a place for sitting out. Devil, this little place is yours. Now sit there and stay there. We'll be all right. He's not, he's not happy with that. He's never going to be satisfied with that. He's always going to be coming around and looking for more. To try to see how he's going to expand in some other areas. And he's watching and waiting and lurking and until you make that mistake and you open yourself up more and he comes in. He'll try to, try to twist the knife while he's there. Hallelujah. And so we've got to, we got to nip this in the bud while we're te- when tempted. You know, it's, it's, it's a lot easier to resist temptation in the beginning that you have afterwards given into for a while and you've been doing that as a habit over time. Much harder to get out of that. It's a lot easier to say no in the beginning. That's, that's what Jesus did. And, and that kind of lifestyle is what he, he showed us by his own example. The devil came around and tempted him in the wilderness. What did he say? It is written. Come on, turn the, turn the rocks in the bread. It is written. Come on, I'm going to take you up to the mountaintop. Amen. And now cast yourself down this pinnacle. It is written. And so, so Jesus never gave in to that temptation. He didn't give even one little inch. Not one little compromise whatsoever. He answered uh, the, the, the questions of the scribes and the Pharisees without any kind of compromise on his doctrine. He said, Come on now, give a little bit. Why just compromise a little bit? She said, uh-uh. Hallelujah, you're an offense to the law of God and you're teaching the commandments of men and neutralizing the commandments of God. See, he he never compromised. He never cut corners. He set it straight as it is from God's mouth to their ears. He never watered down his message to keep the crowds. He also rebuked 
and evicted the devil from his presence when Peter, his chief apostle, started to rebuke Jesus and say, Oh, Calvary, you don't have to go to the cross. Oh, no, don't even think about it. It's never going to happen. And Jesus turns around and says to the man who he just gave the keys to the kingdom. Mind you, that's also in Matthew chapter 16. Jesus just got done telling Peter, Peter, and upon this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom. Amen. And right after that, three or four, five, ten verses later, Peter says, when Jesus starts to tell about his crucifixion and his sacrifice on Calvary, Peter said, no way, Lord, that can't happen. And Jesus turns around and says, get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art offense to me, thou savest the things of men and not the things of God. He, Jesus, Jesus was pretty straight. Hallelujah. And, and it's interesting, in, in, in John chapter 14, verse 30, we find an interesting verse of scripture where Jesus, now John chapter 14, that's on the eve of Calvary. In chapter 13, he just had foot washing and communion instituted, and, uh, and he's sitting around the table, dipping in the sop, and Judas is sent out on his way to betray Jesus, and, and, uh, and he's there with his disciples and, and before his arrest, before Calvary, he says this in John chapter 14, verse 30. Hereafter, I will, not talk much with, I will not talk much with you, for the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me. The prince of this world, the devil cometh, he's, he's going to he's gonna have anything in me. So Jesus telling his disciples, folks, My enemy is coming against me. You're about to see him take his best shot. You're going to see people come against me, do things that you never thought imaginable. But I want you to know, my disciples, even though that they put me on a cross and count me among the thieves and malefactors as an ordinary sinner, as a transgressor on a cross, don't let that fool you because the devil's got nothing in me. He's got nothing on me. I'm innocent as can be. Hallelujah. And watch what happens. Praise the name of the Lord. What Jesus is telling them, he don't have a foothold in me. Not one foothold. Not a spot. Not a speck of sin. He don't have anything. He may know my name and he may know who I am. Hallelujah. Remember the legion in Mark chapter 5 and the, the, the man of Gadara? They said, Jesus, what have we to do with thee? And I heard a lot of times preachers say, well, you know, the devil, you know, devils can't say the name of Jesus. They're too afraid of it. And, and you know, if, if somebody's possessed with the devil, just tell them to say Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Well, that's not scripture. Amen. The legion, the 2,000 devils said, Jesus, have you come to torment us before a time? Amen. And so, so no, we cast them out. Cast the devil out. Hallelujah. There's no place for the devil in our lives. Amen. Hallelujah. There's no place in our lives. Praise God. We can cast him out. These signs shall follow them that believe. In my name, they shall speak with new tongues. They shall cast out devils. You know, I think sometimes we just need to look through our lives and do some 
casting out of devils. I'm not, I'm not talking about being possessing. I mean, maybe, maybe, maybe we open up an area of our life that we didn't realize he's using against us and, and he's keeping his second-rate status and he's keeping us as second-class uh, Christians and, and he's keeping us condemned and um, there's this feeling of condemnation because we're not doing exactly what we should be in. We may be not as clean as we should be in. We, sh- we should be sweeping out our house a little bit better. Amen. So time to, to do, do some devil casting. You know what I mean? Casting out some devils from our lives, from our hearts, and from our thinking. You know, I think we're living in a time, and I think you're going to agree with me, that we're, people just want to compartmentalize their lives. And by that I mean that, you know, you, you, you behave or think yourself to behave on a certain... On Sunday, you have your Sunday self. A Sunday, you dress up and you go to church and you talk in a certain way, you behave in a certain way, and, and you do certain things on Sunday. And then on Monday, you put your Sunday self off and you're somebody else. And same thing on Tuesday, you're somebody else. On Wednesday, aha, well, that's my Wednesday self. I, I just do this. On Wednesday now, I'm, I'm again a different kind of person. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, oh, well, Friday and Saturday, oh, wow, hey. You know, that's party time. You know, I'm, that's myself on Friday. You know, I, I got to go party. It's Friday. It's the end of the week, and I've had a rough week, and I, I deserve a little. And the devil just whispers, y'all, come on, man, you deserve it. You got to take a little time off because you'll have some fun. You know what I mean? And Saturday, there's the, you know, there's the hangover time. And I hope I'm not talking. Woo. Hey, man. Praise God. It's not my vice and not my weakness, thank God. But I'm talking about many out there who, who will think that, 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 that they're, they're walking well and, and yet they're compartmentalizing their walk with God thinking that on Sunday you do one thing and Wednesday or midweek service another. Amen. But then the rest of the week, you got, you got your own self. You've you, you got a different kind of a self you're operating with. But don't you let those days overlap. Don't you allow, allow those people to overlap one day with another. Don't let the Sunday self overlap. With oh, people don't want that. See, you want to be a certain way in a particular location on a certain time. And Jesus wants to erase all those compartments and just make it all one. He says, you know, just be real. Be real one way or the other. You're either all for God or you're all for the devil. But don't be in between. In fact, you know, that's the only time that the Bible mentions that God is disgusted with anybody. And it's the Laodicean church. When the church is lukewarm, it's I will spew you out of my mouth. Only time in the Bible. I would that you were hot or cold. But because you're neither, you're lukewarm. I'm going to spit you right out. It's nauseating to me. And so God wants us to, to be... Same and experience when I walk with him in the spirit each and every day. Amen. I strive to, to fulfill the, 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 the spirit and not fulfill the lust of the flesh. The Bible gives us that promise. Praise God. And so we can't give the devil any space whatsoever. Now, I'm quickly coming to a close. Uh, I, I want to talk about three big strongholds. There are others uh, that we need to be alert for, but uh, many potential strongholds can destroy us just as any other. Unforgiveness is one. Unforgiveness. 
it's, it's you know, some people, some people uh, can forgive but won't. And, uh, and, and that's a problem. They can't forgive or won't forgive. And, and then there's this perpetual disobedience. Perpetual disobedience. And, this, and it's this, uh, this, this continual yielding to temptation without any resistance, without any, you know, without putting up a fight. It's this continual uh, disobedience and yielding to temptation. It's, it's giving the enemy a foothold. Well, the devil made me do it. Yeah, he probably did. Well, the ungodly use of the tongue is one of the other things that the devil can use as a foothold. It's the only member of the body, the Bible says, are full of deadly poison and set on fire from the course of nature and it's set on fire of hell if it doesn't come under the control of the Holy Ghost. That's why you see God chose tongues. It's the last member of the body to yield itself. And when God's got your tongue, he's got all of you. Amen. You can easily clap your hands, raise your hands, stomp your feet, move your body, yield that. But the tongue is the last thing that surrenders itself. Hallelujah. And so it's important because it's their tongue that people constantly use to critique and slander and hurt and defame and, and spread lies and and instead of these falsehoods, we need to use it to build up, to encourage, to speak what is true and honest of a good report. That's which is praiseworthy because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. These are just but a few footholds. Remember what the Apostle Paul said in Romans 16, 20. This is so encouraged because we need the help of God. And the God of peace, this is Paul writing now in the Roman church. 16.20, and the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. <laughs> NLT, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. You know what he's saying to Christians like you and me? Jesus' example, he overcame the devil with his death, his burial, his resurrection, because the devil couldn't find any fault in him. No spot, no speck, no foothold. The grave couldn't hold him. Death couldn't hold him. Amen. And the same thing with us, that we have part, been partakers of his death and buried and resurrection with the receiving of the Holy Ghost. In the same way as the devil was put under Jesus' feet, he's encouraging the Holy Ghost-filled Christians of Rome and you and I in the 21st century that very soon, soon and very soon, the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet. The same way that Satan was put under the feet of Jesus. It's under our feet. And the book of Ephesians also tells us the same thing. That he is under our feet. Praise the name of the Lord. Right. Amen. So if you've been going through some trials and struggles, and I don't know what the devil's been coming against you with, I'm telling you that there's victory in your way. Yes. There's victory for your way. Hallelujah. Yes. Praise God. Yes. Now there's three particular strongholds I want to get to quick. The first one is doubt. Everybody say doubt. Amen. Doubt, that's uh, hallelujah. It's uh, where you look at the things of today. It's the problems that you see, and your faith is weak. Matthew 21, 21, Jesus said, If we can have faith and doubt not, we can move mountains. 
In 1 Timothy 2.8, Paul said, advising men, I will, therefore, that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Doubt. The devil is in a doubting business. He's just not selling it. He's giving it away. He wants to put a little question mark in your mind where there should be an exclamation mark. It's what he did with Eve. Yea, hath God said. Is that really what the word of God says? You really have to do that? Do I really have to obey God in this area? It's a question mark. It's putting doubt. You see, and the problem with that is because if you give in to him on that one question that he poses you, if you say, well, I see your point, then that's a foothold. And then all of a sudden, if that statement of the word of God is wrong, then there are other promises that are wrong. And all of a sudden, if the devil can make you doubt the word of God upon what thou shalt do and shall not do, all of a sudden you will doubt that God loves you. Oh, hallelujah. Come on now. Hey, God loves you and I. Then you will doubt his word, which says, seek first the kingdom of God and all of these things shall be added unto you. And if you doubt that, well, then, you know, when Jesus said, I'm coming back for you and I will receive you to myself, well, you're going to have doubt in that too. And before you know it, you're doubting all the word of God and you're doubting your salvation. You're doubting your walk with God. You're doubting doubting the fact that he can hear you and that you can hear his voice. And and you doubt Christianity altogether and you backslide and you walk out all because you gave in on one question mark. I'm talking about the wiles of the devil. I'm talking about how the devil works. I'm talking about his strategy. You better make sure that before you reject a piece of scripture from the word of God, that you know what you're doing. Because if you doubt that area, there's a whole lot of other things, maybe even more important that you will doubt, and it will cost you dearly. Yea, God hath, yea, hath God said. Hmm. You got to remember Hebrews eleven six. He that cometh to God must believe, not doubt. He that cometh to God must believe that He is, and He's a reward of them that diligently seek Him. Hallelujah! Don't give the place of the devil. Don't let him sow doubt in your heart and your spirit. Worry is the second thing. Worry is just like doubt. But as you know, we've had, we've had a lot of sessions on worry. I and mean, We're not getting away from it. We talked about doubt. That's, that's for today. We doubt now. Worry is always about tomorrow. It's the future. And uh, uh, we worry about the future, obviously. Uh, we think about it. We're concerned about it. But we're not promised tomorrow. We're not promised tomorrow. The, the Bible tells us that. We're not promised tomorrow, so, so why worry about it? Where will my next paycheck come from? Where will my next job come from? If I don't have a job, I lost my job. Where is it going to come from? How am I going to fix my finances? How am I going to you know, live with inflation going out of control and, and, and all these things are giving me? How am I going to, you know, if you live long enough and walk with God long enough, I think you can say with David in Psalm 37, 25, I have been young and now am I old, yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. Can you say that? Hasn't God been good to you? Haven't God provided for you? Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. So quit worrying. 
You can't add one inch to your height, as Jesus said. Don't think about tomorrow, because he'll see you through then, too. He's there. Matthew 10, 31, for you be, for fear you not, therefore, you are more value than many sparrows. He was, Jesus was saying, look, he feeds the birds in the air. He's, he takes care of all, all creation. Look, you think you're worth a whole lot less than those critters? He says, no, no, look at the spirit. And that's, look what, this is what Jesus said. You are of more value. You are of more value. Do you understand that he puts more value on you than any other aspect of creation? He didn't die for the sparrows. He died for you. He didn't die for all the other critters in creation. He created them. He didn't die for them. He died for you and me. Hallelujah. Praise God. Don't worry. Last but not least, don't be afraid. Stand with me, if you will. Fear. Perhaps man's oldest enemy. When Adam and Eve sinned, and what they did, God come calling and said, Adam, where art thou? So I hid myself because I was afraid. First time fear is mentioned in the Bible as a consequence of sin and being out of step and out of harmony, out of alignment, out of yieldedness with God. See, the devil uses fear to get a foothold in our lives. In these last days, I dare say that fear is one of those things more than anything. The devil will try to use in his church to confuse, to doubt, to worry because of fear. How's it going to end? Look, you're, you're in his hands. Don't do like Peter when he got out of the boat and started walking on water. He took his eyes off of Jesus and he began to sink. And then when he cried out, Jesus said, why did you fear? Oh, you have little faith. And then Peter put his eyes back on Jesus, and Jesus stretched out his hand. He came up. Don't take your eyes off of Jesus because of fear. Don't give place for fear. Perfect love casts out all fear. Be filled with the love of God. It's the Holy Ghost. Refresh yourself day in, day out, speaking in tongues. Get the Holy Ghost. Let the Holy Ghost get you. Don't be afraid. Yes, we're in the last days. Yes, Jesus is coming. Yes, the world is falling apart. Hallelujah. It's not about us. It's not on us. God's got this. He's got you. He's got the church. We're getting out of here. Act like it. Pack your bags in here. Get, get yourself ready. Amen. Be born again. Make, make, make sure of your salvation. Amen. That's the, that's the Bible says, you know, examine yourself whether you be in the faith. Jesus said, will the Son of Man find faith in the earth when he comes back? The disciples who were in, in the boat with Jesus and he fell asleep in the back of the boat. You know the story. The storm comes and, and they're trying to you know, get the water out, take the buckets and get the water out with nothing doing. 
They finally cried to him, Jesus, save us. What's going on, boys? Oh, yeah, okay, the wind. Yeah, I see, yeah, okay. Why why are you just afraid? I'm in a boat. Hey, listen, when you got Jesus in the boat with you, you shouldn't be afraid. You got Jesus in your boat, and we're in his boat, actually. You got nothing to be afraid of. Hallelujah. Well, but Jesus is asleep. I'm crying. I'm praying. Hey, well, wake him up. How? Praise him. Pray unto the Lord Jesus. Call upon his name. Amen. Intercede. Hallelujah. Jesus, thy son of David, have mercy on me. Wake him up. Hallelujah. And give him some time. Give him your faith and not your fear. Praise the name of the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, church. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Listen, I don't know where you are today. I don't know if the devil's got a foothold in you. Maybe it's fear. Maybe it's doubt. Maybe it's worry. Or maybe all three of those. Maybe it's anger or bitterness and, and malice and wrath of the Lord. Those are things of the flesh. We've got to do some house cleaning. We've got to get that out of our hearts once and for all. Come on now. We're children of God. We belong to Jesus. We do not belong to the world. We do not belong to the devil. He has purchased us with his own blood. Acts chapter 20. Hallelujah. We are his prized possession. You don't belong to yourself. You don't belong to the government. You don't belong to the United States of America. You don't belong to the Antichrist and the world. We belong to Jesus Christ and him crucified. Hallelujah. Give no place for the devil. Hallelujah. Make sure as you examine yourself, get every ungodly thing out of you. Amen. Cleanse yourself with his precious blood. Amen. Cleanse your thoughts. Cleanse your heart, your spirit. Amen. Do some self-examination and do it good because nobody can do it as well as you. I'm not here pointing fingers at anybody. Amen. When you come down here praying, I'm not saying that, okay, by that you're admitting guilt and, and, and you're, you're such horrible sinner and I'm so holy and high and mighty. No, no, no. The Bible says, Peter preaching, the time has come that judgment begin in the house of God. And if it begin with us, what shall the ungodly and sinner appear? In other words, it's time for us to judge ourselves when we're in the house. When you hear the word preached, we have a responsibility to judge our own selves. Use the word and apply it to yourself. Cleanse yourself. Get rid of the compartments of your life. Get rid of your Sunday self and your Monday self. Make it all just one self. Make it all Christ's self. Amen. He is the first and foremost one in your life. Let him be your example. Let him be your Lord and nobody else. Hallelujah. When you come, it's time to rebuke fear and worry. As they sing, I want you to come. I want you to come praise him. Amen. Wake him up if he's not been answered in prayer. But praise him. Petition him. Worship him. At the same time, I want you to examine yourself. Hallelujah. Say, Lord, I want to be clean. I, I want to make sure the devil doesn't have a foothold in Jesus' name. Because I want to be ready. How about you? Amen.